Welcome to Behind the Camera, a show dedicated to the producers, directors, technicians, and all the people that bring the images of sport to your television every night. I am your host, Uncle Jesse. On today's show, I welcome Michael Abdella, better known as Abs. He's an EVS operator in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, done a ton of shows, been all over the place. Him and I have run into each other quite a few times. Used to go up to Detroit a lot when I was with the Nashville Predators and doing a lot of baseball and other things. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you definitely for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to have you on. So tell me how you got into this crazy thing we call sports television. It's it's crazy how we all we all kind of have our stories, right? But um, I was actually, I was a senior at, at the University of Michigan, and I needed an internship to graduate. And I was going there to actually be a, a school teacher. My, my family, I come from a family of educators. Um, so that was kind of always like, go get your teaching certificate. And then, you know, you can figure out stuff later, but that's the ultimate fallback. So I needed an internship for my communications major. And um, my roommates and I used to go to Piston Games and we call them the Teal Years in Detroit. But they were basically, you know, not, not very good years here. And we used to go for with free vouchers. So the only... Um, caveat was is that you would you know fill out your address on the side of the ticket stub and then unbeknownst to us that became a ticket lead for the team so we would go to free games basically here and there throughout the, um, the school year and then i get a phone call one time in my apartment at, at school and it's uh, from a ticket salesman trying to at the palace trying to sell me a season ticket package um and i literally said i'm sorry i don't have any money but I need an internship to graduate. Can you transfer me to broadcast? And, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm completely naive in all of this, ignorant to what all this entails. And um, he said, sure. So he transferred me to Virginia, who was a secretary of the palace at, um, in the broadcast department. And the first things out of my mouth, um, it's weird the things you remember, but it was, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I just need an internship to graduate. And she was like, no problem. I'll transfer you to our producer and um, went down, had an interview at the Palace Auburn Hills where the Pistons play. And, you know, I had a, a full course. I had 18 credits in school to graduate and I didn't understand what an internship really kind of entailed. So she's like, no, you have to be here every day. And I said, well, I, you know, I can only be there Fridays, you know, only. So you know, bless her heart. She, she called and uh, I was kind of the third intern hired. And she said, you can, you can come Fridays only until school's over. And then, um, you know, that would have been the Detroit shock season when the season ended or when my school year ended. And then, you know, I can kind of finish my internship in the summertime. So I'm, I'm interning there just on Fridays, logging tape, assemble edits. I got in the tail end of, uh, of beta cams. So, you know, news networks would ask for, um, assemble edits of a player and, you know, they'd hand me a tape. And the first time I ever did it, I crash recorded on everything because I didn't know what an assemble edit was. I think all of us did that the first time we tried to do that. I got, dude, I got reamed out. I'm like, I have literally no idea what an assemble edit is, you know, to that point, the first time I ever did camera, the director was like, it was a Jumbotron show, but the director was like, um, Abs, you're hot. You're hot, you know, meaning my iris. And I said, well, how do I get cold? And to this day, guys <laughs> laugh about it because I have no idea 
what you know, we're talking about. So anyways, I'm doing my Fridays only and the, um, the tech producer of the shows comes down in the cubicles and kind of screams over um, the cubes. Hey, Jennifer, who was the producer that hired me in, I need a utility for all the piston games for the, for the in-house show. And I just happened to be standing right by her. And I just said, I'll do it. And he said, all right, you got $50 a game. Um, you know, you start tomorrow. Do you know how to cable? I said, no. He said, go in the other room and learn how to do over under. And uh, that was $50 a game back in uh, 2002. So I would go to school all day, literally all day, eight in the morning to whenever. And then I'd go 4.30 at game. And I, you know, I was utility for the Jumbotron show. And then, you know, your, your career kind of advances. And he trusted me to do more and more jobs. As we go, you know, you get $25 raises here and there. And you have more responsibilities. You know, for the first seven years of doing this, starting in 2002, I was, you know, strictly a you. And really had no idea what the truck was because, you know, it was all in-house. You know, I didn't even know about striking at the end of the night because I never had to do it as a utility in the show. It was just yeah, about you just wheeling your away. two cameras back. Yeah. Now, early in your career, you were involved in probably one of the most infamous, if not famous, events at the palace was the brawl. Tell me about that. Yeah, just a normal day at work, obviously for me. Um, you know, I had to get there about 4.30 or so, but um, my typical position was you know, under, under the hoop, under one of the hoops, either, or, you know, to the side of the escape lane. So from what I remember of the game, you know, I'm down where it kind of all played out. And one of the secondary jobs that I had to do at the time was set up the, the post-game press conference. So at halftime, um, you know, you'd wheel the lights back, you'd set the camera up, and then you'd go and you'd finish the game as a utility. But after the game, you had to go, and then I'd hold the boom mic in the press conference. So that was a set of responsibility after that. But, you know, I'm under the hoop and I remember the Pacers, the game was over. Um, they had won the game pretty much. And there was some back and forth, you know, a couple times down the court. And then all of a sudden when Ben pushed them, um, it all just erupted. And, you know, that was kind of right at the beginning of cell phones. Right. But I remember then like flip phones getting thrown on the court, batteries and, you know, it all was right there. And then you're just standing there because our responsibility in Jumbotron was during breaks, right? So during the action, I was just kind of just sitting on the court watching the game, you know, and that's kind of when it all happened. So I didn't really have any responsibility when it all just kind of took place, but, you know, front row seat. And I remember vividly, the two guys that challenged, I believe, Jermaine O'Neal on the bench vividly. And if he hadn't slipped, that would have connected. And my face was ready for it. You know, pre-internet, pre-Twitter. It's just, I can't imagine what that scene would be like now, you know. With oh, the yeah. If you had all the cell phones and everything now, they'd be stitching together oh, a thousand looks of it. But back then, every yeah, angle, it wasn't there. Every angle. And then... You know, three or four days later, I find out that my folks next door neighbor is the attorney for the guy that threw the cup. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it all kind of just came back around. But that is definitely a story I will never forget. I mean, you know, 
in your head, it, it, it's eternity, but it really wasn't that much time. But then, you know, cops were there till three or four in the morning. You know, we have a lot of mutual friends that I'm sure were there for ESPN that night. And, um, you know, they had to scrub back the video back and forth for the cops from every angle. And, you know, and that was before, I mean, we probably, we've probably added 10 to 12 looks since then, you know what I mean? Between all the other camera feeds that we have. So to think what we could have had now with that, but it's a memory I'll, I'll, I'll forever carry. Yeah, it's a, it's a surreal experience when you go from being a sports person to news. All of a sudden, you find yourself in the middle of a news story and people coming in the truck looking for angles, looking for looks, talking to camera guys. What did you see? It is a surreal experience. I've had the, I've had that happen to me a couple of times where something happened at the stadium or whatever. And all of a sudden you're playing stuff back to see what happened. And then they want to take copies of the tapes. It is a surreal experience. Absolutely. I just remember the, the one of the things that always stuck out is, Larry Brown was a coach at the time. And, you know, when he did come in that post-game press conference, you know, he's an old NBA head, as we all know. He's been through, a, a, you know, many, many decades of this. The disappointment on his face, I'll just never forget. You know what I mean? And it's almost like your father. It is, you know, even though we really didn't have that type of relationship, but you just knew how disappointed he was and the stain, you know, would last forever. But now, now they're all best friends, right? That's the thing. I mean, yeah, now all the exactly. players that got in a fight, now they all laugh about it. So, well, I, I mean, we at should... some point, that's what you got to do. I guess you know, you got to kiss and make up, or just you know, it's a, it's life short. You know, it, tempers flare, and they're 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 athletes, and they're competitive, and they say a lot of trash. I mean, I think that's the thing for me. I didn't realize how much trash talking there really is until you start working a game. Did some handheld and what for some games, and it's just like. You don't realize what's being said all the time down there. So for us at home, we just see a brawl break out. And we think, well, that's dumb. Why would they do that? But you don't realize all the trash, all the everything going on. Build up. Yep, yep. And it's funny because a lot of the perceived villains in that, you know, other than our test, obviously, for kind of reacting, um, we're trying to be peacemakers. You know what I mean? Like respect, like Rasheed Wallace was trying to hold people back. And his MO throughout his whole career was, you know, a guy that kind of got technicals and was the villain. So roles are reversed there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you never know in those kind of events. So another thing earlier in your career, you got to do a Super Bowl uh, kind of in your hometown. You're a Michigan boy. So you got to do Super Bowl 40 as a utility down on the field. What was that experience like for you, young in your career, to be standing on the field during the Super Bowl? I got spoiled um, early in what I was doing and, you know, not only knowing if this was going to turn out to be a, you know, a lifetime thing for me, but early on, it was just like all these bucket list moments kind of happened at once, right? The Pistons won the championship in 04, um, you know, returned in 05. Um, the Tigers were in 06 in the World Series, but in 05, I got the opportunity to kind of PA for NFL films. and. It was a 17 day job um, for very little pay, you know, but I didn't know any better. So, you know, it was go get distilled water for the coffee maker. It was clean this trailer out. It was make sure that the, the, the food tent has croissants and all, everything. I mean, all the glamorous you know, parts go, of television <laughs> go for to the extreme. And, you know, for three, four years, I worked with all these camera guys that, are working gigs right next to me, like actual TV gigs. 
And I'm like, you know, I'm their butler for, for lack of better words, like to make sure that they're comfortable and good. But, you know, that was basically the first 16 days of it. And, um, you know, I work my tail off, which is kind of like what I hold my, my hat on is my work ethic throughout my whole career. And, um, I worked my tail off for those 16 days. And then they, as kind of a make good, the guy who hired me said, here's your, here's your on-field pass for game day. Um, we want you to be a utility for us, um, on the field. So it was, it was unbelievable. You know, I was, and, and, you know, you're running around because I was chasing the handheld guy, but I had three cameras with me and I made sure I took, and um, there were two utilities that I was working with. And I was the only one that had any experience as a youth. Literally, those other guys were taking cigarette breaks. Like they disappeared during the game, during the Super Bowl. So I had a thousand feet of cable in my hand the entire game, running back and forth on the sidelines. We were on the field for halftime, which was amazing. It was the Rolling Stones um, on the field for the pregame, which was Stevie Wonder and John Legend and um, I believe Aretha Franklin. I mean, it was just everybody. It's a who's who of, you know, growing up. And there were game utilities that saw how bad I was struggling with all this. And so one of them actually tracked down the other two, two utilities that were hired to help. And it just so happened that they got to me right as the game was about to end. So I worked my tail off the entire Super Bowl, back and forth, both sidelines. It was the Steelers and the Seahawks. But when it was all over, I literally took the pile of cable and I, I put it on the shoulder and I said, here, you're on your own. And I turned and I looked and I'm on the Steelers sideline for the Super Bowl. So I, I remember I had a class at Michigan with Larry Foote. And he was a linebacker on the team. It just so happened that he was standing right next to Dick LeBeau, right next to me. And then the thing goes to zero. They dump water on LeBeau. They're all hugging. And then I, was, I just ran out with them. I have a picture. I was in their, their huddle to begin with. I, I had my hand on a cornerback. And then at the end, I, you know, it, the trophy was being passed around. And I was, I was on the field for the Steelers winning that Super Bowl. And it's so long ago that it's almost like it doesn't feel like it was your life, you know? And it was pre-look-at-me world. It was pre-selfies. It was pre-look-where-I'm-at. It was pre-all that. And I'm not even that type of person, but when you're on the field for the Super Bowl, that would be a moment, right, oh, to kind of have. And, you know, there's really no record of me really even there other than, other than the your digital memory. camera footage that I took, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing to think that's 2004, like how far we've come. You would you would have had a thousand pictures and you could have found yourself in somebody else's pictures. And but all you've got is the memories. But still, I mean, I would rather have the memories than the photos like that. that and that cool is experience. kind of where you get as you the more you do this is I'm thankful that those bucket list moments happened before all that, because you just reality is you don't soak it all up. You know, you think that your phone is going to help you relive it later, but that's, I've really been kind of like seize the day kind of person lately. And, um, you know, that makes me appreciate those type of moments where it was strictly just soak it up. 
Oh, for sure. It's been funny for me doing this podcast. I mean, I always ask all my guests for photos so I can put them in the show. And it's hard for them to come up with photos because we, I guess we understand inherently because we do these moments that you need to live in them. And so everyone's like, I'm sorry, man, I don't have photos of myself. I got photos of the gig or the game or the, the place, but I just don't have photos of myself. And I, I, I absolutely encourage people watching like, we experience the stuff and it's so we don't take as many photos you go digging through our facebook feeds and there's not a lot of photos of us doing stuff because we experience it and enjoy it and i think it's the thing i do love about doing sports television is we do get to enjoy some amazing moments no no question about it no question about it and to say i'm you know at, at the time i mean i was 34 when it kind of all came together but i had already worked every major sporting event you know, where growing up as a kid, you just would dream of going to one, you know, whether as a fan or playing or however it worked out. Yeah, so you definitely appreciate that. Absolutely. Another moment I've been wanting to ask you about, uh, we got Galarraga, Andres Galarraga. He came to the Diamondbacks the year after the infamous not perfect game. I mean, I remember watching that and we were all we were in the truck and it's like anything when you're getting close to a no hitter or anything, the whole world of regional sports starts watching the one game. And I remember watching it. And as soon as Jim Joyce says safe at first, I mean, our truck went nuts. Meanwhile, we're doing our own game, but we all kind of went nuts like, wait, what? They show the replay. But at the time, there's no replay. And so what was that like for you guys actually in the truck going? What just happened here? Since I was strict, like basketball was kind of its own entity back then hiring wise. So I was usually just a basketball guy, but by 2010, which is when that happened and it's going to be 10 years ago in the beginning of June, which is absolutely crazy to think about. Um, I had kind of already carved out my niche as being a home show guy for the Tigers. And, you know, again, a normal day. I mean, the Tigers were definitely better then than they are now. Um, you know, maybe 10 games over 500. I don't really remember records, but Cleveland wasn't what they are now. So I don't even think they were, they might've been under 500. Um, so it was just a normal day. It was a normal game. It was like, let's get this over with, um, you know, let's have a good game, obviously, but, um, you know, just one of 82 at home. Right. So it popped off really quick. I mean, you felt like, not only is like he on today, but this game's moving pretty damn fast. Right. And like for what we do, you don't realize, like, I mean, I played baseball forever growing up, you know, traveled with little league, all that stuff until you get in the truck. You really, I don't know why I never realized it was the one sport without the clock. Right. So really it's all about, let's get it under three, that type of stuff. I just remember we were all so happy that it was just moving. The game was just moving fast. Then you have your moments. You had that huge catch by Austin Jackson in center field, um, which was an iconic call in Detroit 10 years later. You know, everybody remembers that catch. So everybody kind of felt like, you know, this is going to be a magical day. And especially when you have moments like, I mean, it was damn near a Willie Mays catch, you know, over the, over the shoulder and, preserving the the perfect game. So here we are last out. He's on the mound, obviously. I believe Jason Donald was up to bat. You know, I had my, my EVS responsibilities was high first and um, 
maybe a, a handheld look in the dugout. It was, it was a handheld look in high first tigers dugout and high first. And the play happens. He hits the ball to Cabrera. He throws it underhand. And we just, we knew, I mean, we knew we, you, it was exactly what the, the reaction in the truck was the reaction on the field. It was pure joy, holy shit. And then no way. And then we all kind of have to start getting our looks together and like, who's got the look, you know, at the time freeze on contact was kind of the one big thing for us to do where, you know, you have for all intents and purposes, one frame to nail this, you know, now obviously you could set your out and you could do all that, but Oh, it's the you know, we all want to challenge ourselves, right? Yeah, I hated freeze on contact. It was the one thing oh, I just I, was I, so was, terrible at. <laughs> oh, oh, especially they want a side side look. You know, you can't even see the ball coming. But you know, other that the freezing like that was really like the only real freezing we had to do, and that was hit or miss depending on what the analyst wanted. So you know, producers weren't calling freezes either. So we rolled, but we we all kind of instinctively knew like whatever happens first on that bag, you're stopping your machine, right? So I was, I believe, the second look, and it's clear as day on both. I mean, you have, I believe, the camera, camera four look where the ball goes in the glove, and, you know, right on the – and then you see his reaction after he calls save. And then, you know, to this day, that is my, that is my favorite replay I've ever had um, – you know, it was because I nailed my freeze. I nailed it. It was him coming up the baseline. Now, now, granted, it was behind him, right? But you knew when the when the ball went in the glove, you knew the pop. So you knew he had it because you could see it. And then you definitely knew on that second look where his foot was compared to where Donald was. And uh, it, it was, you know, it's my favorite replay ever. Um, you know, I have the audio in my mind still. Cause I remember, you know, I had camera mics. So Barry, our handheld camera guy chased Leland out once it was over. Cause it was next pitch. The guy was out, you know, and it was the whole 28 out imperfect game, but it was the next batter was a real quick out. So Leland, Gerald Laird, um, all these guys ran out and just went after him. And I remember that audio and they did not hold back. They did not hold back. You know, and then the next day, you know, he was immediately apologetic. You know, we were doing pregame, so we or postgame, so we had to send all that audio down. Um, and then the next day he comes out, Galarraga brings a lineup card, um, he tears up, and you know, and then they went to Espy and write a book together and all that. But um, from what I remember from that, I took away three things the Jackson catch, which saved it, my freeze. And the fact that the game was an hour 45. Yeah, I know. I think my shortest is a 152. And you're like, oh, that was amazing how quickly that went. You don't realize. I mean, the thing about a no-no or a perfect is that they do go really quick. I mean, it's just, you know, and when you're used to three-plus hours, all of a sudden, especially you guys in the American League, all of a sudden a 145, you don't, you're like, holy crap, it's the ninth inning already. This is insane. Right. You know, we still were thinking, okay, well, you know, we still have all the coverage post-game. And we really – we ended up being there just as long for a three-hour game yeah, as we were so much for a one-five. <laughs> yeah, because everybody had to be heard from, right? Of so, of course, you know, why not? Right, for sure. And then you found yourself in the middle of the Verlander no-hitter, and you weren't even supposed to be there. 
Uh, no, I wasn't. I, um, an EVS guy here in Detroit, he's since moved to Orlando. Um, Andre Harris, he, he does Sunday night football now, but, um, we kind of started out as utilities and, um, real quick backtracking. He was kind of the first grouping of us to kind of get a tape gig. And it was the kid rock concert. And he did back to back shows. And I was hired as a utility on stage for a camera guy. And Andre was hired to do tape in the truck. And again, um, I had no idea what the truck was. I didn't know the pay anything. So, you know, we come out at the end of the night because by then I was a truck utility and he comes out and I remember the conversation clear as day was, he was like, um, I basically like hit play record for 13 machines. I sat back and he told me he got like quadruple what I made. And that was my first moment in like, what is going on in that truck? You know? And I can honestly say it's never been about the money, you know, but the, the whole aha moment was like, you can make a living in this. Right. And before, you know, I had always done so many jobs and then changed in my car and, 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 and went to work that I didn't understand that you can love this, but you can make a, a living at this in a career and it can be both and you can love it and all that. So again, baseball is kind of the last sport I got into. Um, the guy who, who brought me in to do utility for my internship also gave me my, my chance at tape. So Andre's in tape and he can't work two games in this series. And it is the Saturday and Sunday of the series, I believe. So since he looked out for me, new guy in the room, he kind of requested that I would replace him. And I did, available. So I had two games pretty much the year, maybe. You know what I mean? I was like that type of fill-in, like hoping somebody got sick. And sure as shit, it was the Verlander no-hitter on that first day. And, you know, I just, knowing sports, you just, you really don't, um, understand what you're doing you know i was sitting in there and not only the 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 magnitude of it being a no hitter but the responsibilities that you still have to do your job in moments like this um to preserve the 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 broadcast to preserve the history um clipping things off what do you save what do you don't i mean all, all, all that stuff um so in the beginning of the game uh johnny damon was um in the outfield, just shagging fly balls. And he had his sunglasses and he was kind of just adjusting the glasses to the sun. So I thought it was interesting. I clipped it off and I just, I kept it. Well, in that game, the sun became a factor for a play with Johnny Damon. And I sold that in the, in the game. And, you know, and then the no hitter happens, you know, first one at Comerica ever, and again, I'm so naive in this. You don't really understand what you're doing, but I'm in it. You know, so many moments I've had where you've just been in it and you just got to react. And I think that helps you out through so many moments where you have to multitask or adjust to conflict, which I'm still working on. But, um, you know, it trains you and no matter what job you do. So. You know, they have their their meeting the next day about, you know, what the, the no hitter and everything. And the EP asked specifically, you know, who clipped that off and who sold it. And it was me. And that kind of 
pave my way to get on the home show was like literally that clip, the Johnny Damon looking at his, you know, sunglass or sun through the sunglasses and adjusting kind of how that would be a factor, which, you know, I, I would have passed it up. I've done it. Right. Yeah, you, you never know what the shot's going to be, especially those ones that you clip off and then go sell many innings later or whatever. You know, that's something you look back. I mean, it's, producers always look for that, and it's what puts you on the map of some, you know, it's the stuff, it's the extra stuff. You know, for me, even as a director, I try to look for the extra stuff because we've all seen the stick and ball. We've all seen the ground ball, the double play, all that. It's those little things. I, I'm same. I'm just, I'm just like you as an EVS op. I love looking for the little things, and those little things are what tell the story. And uh, it was a day to tell the story. Absolutely. Um, you know, doing football now, subtlety is everything. You know, less look at me boisterous and more. You know, just the one guy that's just so devastated on the sideline, and we just happen to get it. You know, um, so you're absolutely right when you say that. Is that those are really the moments that capture the greatness of it. You know, um, I've had moments where I've had to do fan cam for, for things and, you know, they don't want the guys that are looking in the camera. They want the father and the son that just captured a moment yeah, when they don't know the camera's on, you know what I mean? And, you know, that's the beautiful stuff. And really that's kind of, the, I think what the world misses most right now, you know, are moments like that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, sports is more than just the stick and ball. There's so much. It's family. It's camaraderie. It's all this stuff in the fans. I mean, it's. I miss the fans. I miss look. I miss sitting in a truck, laughing with the tape room, laughing with all the people, going out to dinner after the game. You know, you have all the pressure and stress of the game, but it's nice to just do it with people. And I think sports is the same thing for the fans. Like. It's going to be cool to have sports just to watch, but there is something about going to the ball game with your kid, going out to the park, all those kind of things. Last question for you is what is your favorite TV moment, whether it's tape op, utility, all the different things you've done over the years, but what, what would you say is your favorite moment? My, my favorite moment and what I've done is probably um, the first Super Bowl I was able to work in the truck. And that was um, Super Bowl LI. It was uh, Patriots and Falcons. You know, obviously the, the comeback, again, to backtrack a little bit, my first travel gig ever was Big Ten Network. And I had just went through a divorce and, you know, I was a regular um, in the Detroit market as a tape guy by then, home shows primarily, but still visit home, whatever. But I was strictly tape. And um, Mark Hall, who's an EVS guy in Grand Rapids, he, they needed a second guy for the, for the show. Um, so again, he was like, look, it's going to clear your head. I know you're stepping outside the box, but think about taking this gig. So, you know, it was the A, A crew for Big Ten Network. So I took it. I took it to get out of my house. It was, you know, very, you know, you got, you're, you're selling the, the schools, you're selling the network. Um, so very retease happy, but it was, it was the fifth, sixth best game in the conference. So I did that for a year. And um, Mike Tadamir, who's a camera guy here, and he does a bunch of national stuff, they were merging NFL on Fox crews that year. And he put in a reference to the director, Artie Kempner, who does NASCAR as well, but that he was the director for the crew, that I got an up-and-comer in Detroit that might be good for us. And again, I'm divorced. I have two dogs. And I told Tats, I'll never forget this, I said, Listen, Tats, 
if I can't find somebody to stay with my dogs, I'm not doing it. And he said, you, and again, I'm naive, right? He said, you mean to tell me if you can't find somebody to stay with your two dogs that you want me to tell Artie Kempner that you can't work his crew? And I said, yeah, because I didn't know. Well, my cousin stays home from school because he graduated, but he stays home locally for school. So he ended up living in my house while I was gone. Everything has worked out since, but that was seven years ago. So now I've been on this crew with, you know, Pete Macheski is my producer. He, he breaks to do the World Series for the baseball run. Artie's the director. And for seven years, we've been a crew. But I was kind of a no-name coming in. Like, it wasn't as if Artie or Pete knew who I was, right? It was a camera guy who, who gave me the recommendation. So for the first few years, I was always trying to kind of stand out or, or show my name in, in Fox as well. And to my lead EVS's credit, Nick Franklin, who's, who's my lead in for football for our crew, he always fought for me to kind of get those games. Pretty much my first experience with the A crew ever. I didn't do any playoff games with them. I did one Thanksgiving game. Second experience is the Super Bowl with them. I'm pretty sure they still don't know who I am. Um, and they got us, they gave, Paul Duda gave me a spot and I was supposed to have the players mic'd up, um, which I was excited about. But the Patriots nixed it very early in the week. I had to get there Tuesday. So like Wednesday, we find out that the Patriots are nixing mic'd up. So then the Falcons said, well, if the Patriots aren't doing it, we're not doing it. Now, obviously, mic'd up with Fox is different from what they do with NFL films, but, you know, they wouldn't do it for the network. So Paul came in, Duda came in and said, I really don't know what your responsibilities are going to be, um, but here's a big screen. You know, we were in a 4K truck. So he said, here's a big screen. We got it on program. You can watch the game. And my machines were Vermont and Montana. So, you know, it showed you what priority I was, right? But he comes in Friday and he's like, okay, we're going to give you owner reacts and you're going to sell to a sub producer. Well, the sub producer was Pete, my, my producer. So immediately I was at ease because I sell to this dude all the time. He trusts me, right? Even if it's a bad look, I'm kind of still... I'm in the purgatory, right? Like he's not yeah, selling yeah. it to heaven yet, right? So we're kind of, I can make mistakes. Um, what ended up happening is the, the owner's reacts kind of were part of the story when the Patriots started coming back. So I ended up getting eight looks um, in the Super Bowl. Um, my first was the Arthur Blank high five going to break after the Falcons went up big, right? Telling stories. And then he kind of moved his way down to the sideline as he thought the game was in hand and we had a camera on him and his reactions changed dramatically to very morose and depressed. And again, that became the story. So um, fortunate. A lot of my career has been right place, right time. Um, willing to take chances when I'm really not a chance taker. Um, but knowing that, you know, it just, it felt right. All this stuff feels right. So, I ended up getting eight looks on and then I, you know, I gained their trust after that. Um, you know, we're in the camera meeting for the Super Bowl and Rich Russo thought I was working with the Sky, the Sky Camp guys. He didn't even know who I was in the camera meeting. 
But, you know, since then, now I'm doing Thursday nights with them during the as a fill-in during the season. I have my, my football, and it's been 20 years doing this. And you just can't imagine doing anything else, you know. And to come from a 9-to-5 family and to come from a career where I've worked every year since I've been 14 years old in 9-to-5s. And then to have such an untraditional job and, you know, the, as you know, the sacrifice you make with family, um, the holidays you miss, it just, it all seems worth it, you know, and, and the people that matter in your life kind of stick around because, you know, they realize how much it matters to you. And then everybody just figures out a way to make it work. Well, and we're all a road family. Love working with Duda and Pablo and those guys. And I mean, we all, all of us, you know, you work in the Fox family, the CBS family, everybody knows everybody. We've all worked together and it is, it's, it, we are kind of that family away from family and it helps the road grind not be such a grind and it makes those events fun. Abs, totally. I, Abs, I appreciate you coming on the show today. It was a pleasure. I, I got to go because I got to interview your buddy Tats. So I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Tell him hello. And thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Sounds great. You have a good one. All right. You too, bud. Take care. For more information on today's show or to watch previous episodes, visit our website at BehindTheCamerapodcast.com and we'll see you next time. 